Good morning, everyone. Morning. morning. Turn with me, if you will, like Joel said, to Isaiah 9. We're going to start there. I'm going to read, and then I'll pray for us. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Father, we, we come before your word right now and we just pray that Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Would you use these wonderful, amazing promises to encourage us to lift up our eyes and to see the wonder of this time at Advent, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. How do we journey on when all hope seems lost? How do we journey on? This is one of the main questions of a film that I saw. If you can think all the way back into January before the pandemic. That was the last time I saw a, a, a movie in theaters before the pandemic. And I saw this movie called 1917. Maybe some of you may have seen it. It was really famous because most of the film is just one camera shot. It kind of looks like one camera shot. And it's following these two soldiers during World War I that have been given this intimidating, scary, terrifying task. World War I, they are being tasked to go behind enemy lines and to go through the German ranks and to sneak through to get to their British comrades and to warn them that they are about to enter a trap, that they need to get there before this charge happens and all these lives are lost. And so they are given the task to cross over into this area called no man's land. And so if you know anything about World War I, there was these, often there would be these trenches, and so there would be your line's trench and then the enemy trench. And so you would look through this barbed wire and all this mud and all these caverns created by artillery and poisonous gas and just death. And this was the place that they had to cross. Imagine stepping up over the trench, looking over to where a sniper could hit you. How terrifying would that be to cross this place of death, of hopelessness, of disease, and of evil, really? It makes you think of Mordor, really, this place of just complete and total darkness and death. We see they cross this, this no man's land and get behind the line and avoid traps and avoid snipers and avoid trial after trial after trial after trial. And finally, our main soldier gets to this place where he's beaten down, he's weary, he's exhausted, and he begins to hear this song sing out. If you've seen it, it's such a beautiful scene. He sits at the base of a tree and he hears this song. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is hard and steep, but beauteous fields arise before me. 
where God's redeemed their vigils keep. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. So I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. There, when he's weary and exhausted and about to give up, he hears this beautiful song. I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? You don't want that. But he hears this song, and he's sitting at the tree, and he sees the British soldiers right there before they're about to charge. And this, this song inspires him to journey on when all hope seems lost. He remembers what he's fighting for. Journeying through no man's land. Journeying on despite great trial and suffering. Does that sound familiar at all to anyone? 2020, this unnatural time, this no man's land, if you will, this spiritual no man's land isn't what it can feel like. For many of us, it's been a time of great loss. From loss of work, to close down businesses, to loss of loved ones, to a loss of community. We've missed out on opportunities. We've missed out on travel. We've missed out on milestones. At times, 2020 has felt like journeying through no man's land, a land of death, fear, and hopelessness. And in our journey of faith, we are tired and we are weary, are we not? And how are we to journey on when all hope seems lost? And here we arrive at Isaiah 9. And what, if you know anything about this text, during this time, the Israelites were thinking some of the exact same things, living in their own no man's land. If you know about the history of Israel during this time, they had just experienced a civil war, right? The southern kingdom, the northern kingdom had split up. And here we see the northern kingdom had just been sent into exile. The people of Assyria had just conquered them and had taken off some of them. And just imagine seeing your, your city being burned down, your family being taken off into exile, your, your business being destroyed, your neighbors being removed. And so Isaiah uses this, these words right at the end of chapter 8 to describe the context. Gloom and spiritual darkness. This is into what Isaiah 9 comes. This place of no man's land. And like the song that reminded the soldier to journey on despite his weariness and all that he had endured, what does God offer us? These wonderful promises. They are a beacon of hope. They cry out to us on our journey, journey, wherever we are, no matter what we are doing, no matter how tired, no matter how weary we feel, we see these promises and they inspire us. We can look to God's certain and true promises, can we not? And so, in this text, we see there's so many promises here. We could do an entire Advent series just on Isaiah 9. But we're just going to go through three main promises today. We're going to look at the promise of light in the darkness, the promise of freedom from bondage, and the promise of the righteous king. Light in the darkness, freedom from bondage, and the promise of the righteous king. So let's first look at God's promise of light in the darkness. Look at me, if you will, at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. Then in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So maybe you're reading that and you're like, what in the world is he talking about right there? What is this business with Zebulun and Nephtali? You kind of have to reach back into kind of some of your Sunday school knowledge, your Old Testament history, and think back. What is he referring to? Why are they gloom and anguish? And then why is something glorious going to happen? And so if you remember all the way back into 2 Kings 15, what you have to know about this region is this is kind of one of the areas that got first hit by invading armies. That where, where they would come through, this was the place that often got first hit in, by the Syrians What we see in 2 Kings 15 is that they have just been taken off into exile. And so it's to these people that, like I mentioned, their, their house is being burned down, their city being destroyed, their neighbors being taken away, 
families being separated. Isaiah sees these words. How crazy does it seem? He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the nations. Imagine hearing those words after everything you just experienced. You're like, what? What's so glorious? What are you talking about, Isaiah? This is anything but glorious. What are you talking about? You see the, the tense of the verbs he's using? They're past tense, right? That doesn't make any sense. And so when we read that, what it, why, why that's taking place, if you know anything about this, what he's promising is 700 years in the future. But he's referring to it as if it's already happened. And why is that? Uh, commentators call this a prophetic perfect. And what it means is that the prophet has seen this, and he is so confident that it's going to take place, that in his mind it's already happened. How, how crazy is that? He is so assured, and he is so full of faith that this is going to take place, that to him it looks like it's already taken place in the way that he writes it. That's how assured and confident he is that God is going to make glorious this land. And so maybe you already know where, where this is connected. Do you know, does Galilee sound familiar at all to anybody? Turn over to Matthew 4, verses 12 through 16. Read this. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, speaking of Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in where? The territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 700 years later, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of shadow and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. How amazing is that? 700 years later, the promise is kept. God is faithful. God is good. And we see that in verse 2. Look with me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see that darkness repeated over and over. That's both the you know, darkness outside. I mean, think of the context. Feel how dark that would be to have experienced this exile and this conquering by the Assyrians. But even more so, it was darkness within them. It was inside as well. If you know anything about them, as the king went, so often the people went with them. And so this northern kingdom had followed their kings into idolatry, and they were running in spiritual darkness, really, right? Running away from God, like the blind leading the blind, and not knowing what to do. And then here we have this promise that light has shone, and they have seen a great light. Again, that past tense, that it is so confident that it is going to take place that he writes it in this tense. That's how we read it. Hope is sure, and we know that that hope is Jesus the light of the world. And so, during, it's this time of the year again where when I'm thinking about darkness and light, it's hard for me not to think about how I'm one of those crazy people that wakes up way too early and gets up and in complete darkness goes and wanders off into the woods like a crazy person, right? And I go out into the woods and I like to think of myself as a, as a hunter, but really I should just be called a guy who is cold and stands in the wood and watches squirrels because that's really all I'm seeing right now, okay? Not very successful hunter right now. Um, but one of the things that's so amazing about hunting, if you've ever gone out in the morning before, and you're sitting out there in complete darkness, you can't really see anything, it could be like 10 yards away, it could be a deer for all you know, but it's probably a bush and a tree in my experience. But you can't even tell, it's complete darkness, and you're sitting there, and it's eerily quiet, and you're trying to be quiet, and you don't hear anything, and then every morning a miracle takes place. Because slowly the light begins to rise, and slowly you can begin to see, 
and slowly the, the birds begin to sing and you have this beautiful sunrise and then squirrels start like launching themselves from tree to tree and the forest becomes alive around you every morning. It's a miracle. And the darkness is removed. What was once complete darkness, absent of light, is now alive. And in the same way Isaiah is saying that, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. To Isaiah, as certain as the sunrise is the light that would shine on his people. Like a sunrise, so the coming Messiah would bring life, beauty, illumination, warmth into their lives. And in the New Testament, we see this light in the person and in the work of Jesus. If, you, if you're familiar, John 1.4 says this, In him was life, and the light was the life of men. I am the life, and then John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 5 through 7, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amazing. God is both the light and the source of light, and in him is life. That's the promises we see. And what is the only thing that can lead you out of the darkness when you're in complete darkness? Light, right? It's not more darkness. It's not the blind leading the blind. It is we need the light, the light of the world that breaks through the darkness. There's something so amazing about this Advent season, right? It's one of the darkest parts of the year. It gets so dark so early but yet we have all these visible reminders around us. We literally have these candles right here. Light. And then there's lights on the trees sitting right there. That even while it feels so dark physically outside, we have these visible reminders we can come to. In the same way, I invite you during the season, that even as how dark it feels in 2020 and as, as dark as it may feel, no matter whatever circumstances you're going through right now, to look and to use these visible reminders of the truths that we have just read that the light is coming, that the light will return, and the light will destroy all of darkness, amen? amen? That there will be no more darkness, because as sure as we can see is that this candle is lighting us up right here, is as sure as Isaiah is that the light will come. That is our promise. No matter how dark it gets, remember the light of the world, the light that will destroy all darkness. But there's more. That's the beauty of this text. There's so much more here. God not only promises light in the darkness, but also freedom from bondage. Look with me at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. We see that over and over. What do you see? That word that's repeated over and over. Joy and gladness. For the nations are increasing, we see. That the light is beginning to spread, and we even see that fulfilled most fully in the book of Revelation, if you remember, where we hear that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come together and they will shout, salvation belongs to the Lord, for the light is spreading. And we see that they are, they are celebrating here. Like He gives us examples of, of harvest and of dividing the spoil after a great victory. And why are they celebrating? And to who are they celebrating? Did you catch that? They rejoice before you before the Lord and before what he has done. They are rejoicing before him. 
And so Isaiah is going to give us three reasons for his rejoicing, if you catch it. If you look at verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6, you notice they all start with the same word, for. And so we see in verse 4, the first one, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Do you see that? Think of those language, those terms that we see. We see a, a yoke, a staff, and a rod. And think about Israel's history. When you think of those words, what would probably be one of the first things that would come to your mind, knowing all that they've gone through? Probably Egypt, right? They had this amazing story of their deliverance from Egypt, where if you remember, Pharaoh was such an oppressor to them that he had actually made them make bricks without straw. That is a pretty serious yoke, is it not? That's a pretty serious burden that's been placed upon you. And so here they, their, their mind would probably recall that deliverance, and then even further he connects it to another moment in their history, which you, again you'd have to think through uh, some of your own Sunday school knowledge again and connect it back to the book of Judges if you're familiar. If you remember, there was this, this judge named Gideon that delivered the people of Israel from the Midianites, if you're familiar. And so if you're familiar with that story, that Gideon was leading this army and they were coming towards this uh, stream, and God wanted to kind of make it very, very clear who was about to win the victory. And so they get to this stream, and 300 of the men are kind of weirdos, right? And they get down and just drink the water like dogs. Instead, like a, a normal person would probably drink it like this. They kind of just get down and drink the water like dogs. And then all of a sudden, there's 300 men. And God's like, hey, that's your army. And Gideon's like, oh, great, right? 300 of the weirdos are about to be going on to take on the Midianites. And then if you remember, they get there, and they don't even have to lift a sword, right? God works so wonderfully that he delivers them by himself. The Midianites end up be becoming in a panic, and then all of a sudden they're, just, they're attacking each other, and before they know it, the people have been delivered, and they didn't even have to raise a sword at them. How amazing is that? And here Isaiah is telling us that even greater than Moses, and even greater than Gideon, is one who will coming is, is is one who is coming, and one who will be the liberator of his people, one who will destroy the burden of oppression, and we see it even gets even better. Look with me at verse five. For every boot of the tramping tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Not only is he destroying the oppressor, but he's destroying all of war in general. He's destroying all of the need for war. They're so secure that they don't even need any garments of war. How amazing is that? Not only the weapons, but we see this is like a cloak and the boots. Like, you'd, why would you need this? Like, this seems so insignificant, but Isaiah is saying even those things will not be needed because of the great liberator who is coming. It's a fulfillment of a promise we see in Psalm 46. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. We see this one who is coming will defeat the enemy, and he will put a final end to all conflict and to all war. And so, recently I've been trying to kind of find a, a book series to kind of give me some hope during the season, and so one of the things I love, if you know anything about me, is I love fantasy, and so one of the things I found was this new young adult fantasy series by a Christian artist named Andrew Peterson, and so you may have, may have not heard of this. It's called the Wingfeather Saga. But if you have young kids, I recommend this would be a great series to read to them at night. Um, I found it to be so hope-filled and wonderful. And one of the things that takes place, you know, like all good stories, there's a big bad guy and a bad army. 
and the good guys, our heroes, right, have to de deliver the people, like all good stories. And so one of these places of evil is this place called the Fork Factory. And so this is a factory that all day long constantly is running, churning out weapons for the evil guys, right? Like all the bad guys, they're making the, the, the weapons of war, and it's actually run by kidnapped children from the surrounding community. And so these kids are basically forced all day long to work in this factory. And so this evil overseer calls them tools. He doesn't even call them by their own names. And so this place of constant backbreaking labor and, and hopelessness, we see that these children have begun to forget who they are. They don't remember their names. They don't remember their families. And so slowly they lose hope and they just become tools. Tools in the factory until something good begins to happen, right? And in all good stories, that's not the end of the story. And so hope begins to enter the factory through a young girl who begins to go in, around the factory and remind them of their names. And slowly the children begin to remember who they are and they remember their families and they begin to long for something better, for something more. And they begin to start an uprising. And they, they cast aside the overseer and they put him away and they throw down the weapons of war and they are liberated. And slowly, after they, after they escape this factory, we see that family after family comes and, and, and reunites with them. And so they are readopted into their original families. And it's so amazing and beautiful when you, when you get to that point because you see this beautiful picture of what has been promised to each of us. Amen? That those who were once tools to the enemy are now sons and daughters. How beautiful is that picture? That being reminded who you truly are, being reminded whose you are, being freed from bondage, being adopted into the family. These are all promises that we see here. Is this not our experience when we became Christians? Do you remember? Do you still remember that joy and wonder that you felt? Are you still able to cry out, no matter your circumstance, salvation belongs to the Lord? It's a powerful cry. It's a statement of victory. A cry of those who have been freed that no matter how dark the circumstance, no matter what is going on, that you can say salvation belongs to the Lord. No matter how dark 2020 may seem, for as faithful in Egypt as God was, as faithful as he was through Gideon, through the Midianites, that is the same God that will deliver us. Jesus Christ is the great liberator. He reminds us of who we truly are, and he reminds us that we have been made in the image of God, and he frees us from bondage, and adopts us into his family. How amazing is that truth? Do not lose hold of this wonderful promise. Let it be an anchor to your soul right now, in whatever storm you're going through. Those wonderful promises that we see in Isaiah 9. But there's even more. God not only promises light in the darkness, not only freedom from bondage, but we see that he is promising us the coming righteous king who will reign forever. Look at verse 6. This is the final four that Isaiah has been listing. This is kind of the climax of this promise we see. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We see that this, this amazing figure that we've been hearing so much about, we finally reach this point where he walks on the stage and he's none other than what? A child, right? How, it kind of switches on you. You expect this like amazing, powerful, huge, intense buff guy, right? But then here we arrive and it's just a, a child. A child. This promise of a coming child who would be a king. 
And he's been given four names. Do you see that? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see a wonderful counselor. When you, when you hear that, think supernatural. Wonderful as in supernatural. That this is someone so full of wisdom and discernment that he is wonderful. Supernatural in his ability to see whatever path he's going to lead his people. Wherever he leads them, it's going to be the right path. Full of wisdom. And even further, we see that he is mighty God. And this is actually a divine title. If you're familiar with, in Deuteronomy 10, this actually refers to Yahweh. This is the same words used of Yahweh. So this is no human king. This is no, as amazing as David was, right? David was kind of the amazing king to them. This is someone even better than David. This is someone divine, a title of deity. But even further than that, we see he is everlasting father. Think of that as someone as a loving father to his people, a benevolent father that if he sees his his child laying down crying, he's going to pick up his people and really hold them in his arms. That's the level of care and compassion he's going to show to his people. Compassionate love. But even further, he is the prince of peace. When we hear peace, it's so easy to think like tranquility or something like that, but it's so much more than that. It's the Hebrew word is shalom. It means wholeness. It means everything is exactly as it should be. It's a restoration of all things. That this king is going to be a prince of shalom, dispensing restoration. Not only here amongst us, but with us, with God. We see that from Romans 5, that he is going to restore right relationship between us and God, restoring all things. Shalom. This is the coming king. And Isaiah tells us even more. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. We see several things here. We see that this will have no end. This reign will not end from this time forth and forevermore. That this is no ordinary king. This is the king of all kings. The fulfillment, if you remember, of God's covenant back in 2 Samuel 7. The king of all kings. And his reign will be one of justice and righteousness. So often, the people of Israel saw kings that led them the wrong way. If you've read their history, if you've read, if you've read all of the kings that led them into idolatry after idolatry, right? Bad king after bad king after bad king. This king is going to read them, lead them the right way. It's literally going to be Emmanuel, God with us. That fellowship, that community, that harmony. This is the way that the king always was supposed to be. And this will be done by how? Did you catch that at the end of verse 7? It's so important. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. God's burning passion will accomplish this. God will not rest until these things are fulfilled. How amazing is that? All this from the promise of a coming child, a king. And it's hard for me to read child over and over and not think about where me and Leanne are right now and what we're going through. We just received this amazing news that we're pregnant and expecting. And so that's kind of just, you know, been a whirlwind in our life. And so we've had, you know, so many conversations with family and friends and telling them and telling in-laws and my parents and just, you know, tears of joy that we've experienced. And my mom thought I was lying for some reason, but (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but um, we just had so many wonderful conversations and just this. It's just so wild to me that something so small 
literally like the size of a peanut, right? It's causing such wonder and joy and just really flipping up our, our life upside down, but in such a wonderful way. It's been such a, a wonderful moment of 2020 for us. And just this past Thursday, we went to the doctor and they, they put this little machine up against Leanne that we got to hear a heartbeat. We just all of a sudden we hear this thud, 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 thud. It's just like, what? <laughs> That's inside of you? That's crazy. You just cannot comprehend that there is a little life. But once you hear it, it becomes so real. And it's just like, that's our baby. It's so wild to me that this small little thing that you know, could seem so insignificant is so meaningful and so wonderful to us. It's life. It's wonder. It's joy, right? It's brought so much. And how much more is that what we're seeing here? That this child is bringing shalom, is bringing peace, is bringing wholeness, this is such an amazing promise. We can't even comprehend how important this is, what Isaiah is saying here. And so I ask you today, are you weary this Advent season? Are you scraping by? Are you feeling as though you are in a spiritual no man's land? I want you to hear these wonderful promises and to listen to this truly good news. Stand firmly upon this truth. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Have you lost hope this year? Has your, faith has your faith faltered in any way? The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Not our weary hearts, not our tired hands, not our exhausted minds, not our fickle feelings, not our inconsistent belief. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Amen? Rest in this amazing truth. And I want to close with this, this quote that just beautifully summarizes this whole text. I couldn't, I couldn't say it better, so i got to quote him. Ray Ortland, in his commentary, he says this, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our crucified, risen, reigning, and coming Savior, will not come back to tweak this problem or that. He will return with a massive correction of all systematic evil forever. And this is the best part. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The empire of grace will forever expand. If we live by faith in him now, accepting his weakness as our strength and his folly as our wisdom, we will be there to enjoy his triumph. Forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying, there will never come one moment when we will say, this is the limit. He can't think of anything new. We've seen it all. No. The finite will experience ever more wonderfully the infinite. And every new moment will be better than the last. Did you hear that? 2020 has felt like every new moment is going to be worse than the last. <laughs> but did you hear that? Forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying, the finite will experience ever, more, experience ever more wonderfully, the infinite and every new moment will be better than the last. Amen? How wonderful is that promise? God's promises are a beacon of hope for us. Rest in them in this 2020, in this no man's land. Rest in these wonderful promises. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text. No matter how weary and exhausted we may be, we can run to this text and see that you are a good God, that you are faithful, and that every moment will be better than the last under your reign. In your name we pray. Amen.